Yeah, exactly. Or or if he if maybe the French president got an Irish passport and he became all <laughs> Macron. It's Friday, December 3rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and not a coffee spiller. <laughs> and with me today is Gordon Derrick, contributing editor at Dutch News and Opper Oppe Prikker. Yes. And Robin Pasco, editor-in-chief and Amsterdam Light Festival victim. <laughs> I yes, think. indeed. Right, yeah, you mm. are a victim, aren't you, Robin? I am, it's very sad. We, we were planning a nice trip with the whole Dutch news team really and uh, now they've gone and decided the Amsterdam Light Festival has to take place during the day when yeah, it's, it's not been, dark. It's been switched <laughs> off so you've yeah. got like we have like what 23 minutes after yeah. sunset to enjoy the light festival. Yeah. Oh it yeah. is after sunset. <laughs> Just ah, okay. about yeah. Half an hour but that's not really enough or very early in the morning which we could also do you know fine by me. Yeah it's okay well. for you if you've got okay for those of us who live in Amsterdam but uh, yeah. <laughs> For the others, it's a slight problem. Yeah. yeah so the, the Amsterdam Light Festival, it's it's usually very very nicely done, right? Uh, uh, all the canals are lit up very very nicely. Robert, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan, to be quite honest, but I think they're quite poor some of them. But this year was going to be good because it was going to be the best mm-hmm. of ten years. So ah. they had all the ones that were really successful would be back. So I mean, it is a real shame. A real yeah. shame. Yeah. But, but because of the coronavirus uh, restrictions, they have uh, switched it off. And instead of uh, having the canals lit uh, all, uh, all night long, uh, they turn it off at 5 p.m., I believe. Yep. So, um, yeah. yeah, there's not much uh, to enjoy. Um, no, it's a very short, um, yeah, it's a very fleeting light fl- festival, isn't it? Flickering lights. So it's, it's kind of Amsterdam light festival light, you could call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a. They should name it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Gordon. Um, yeah, I had a little uh, difficulty pronouncing your job title. You had a bit of a tongue so twister. Yeah. 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 So uh, please explain us what what's what's happening here. Yeah. It's, uh, this is this is one of the delights I think. One of the few delights on uh, Hugo de Jong's Twitter feed, uh, which is that uh, the um, I, I hadn't come across this before, but the Dutch word for booster vaccine. Now normally the Dutch journalists and people and politicians just call them boosters. Because yeah. they do, but the the actual Dutch word which Hugo used on his account is um is oppep prick, yeah, which I think is t- yeah. charming, delightful word, and I think we should adopt it. Really, the whole you world find it charming? Oh, I do, no. yeah, because oh, I just no. like the way it looks, like the way it sounds. It's got two, it's got two, two double P's in there, which I, I sort of you know, and, then, uh, and, and you for some reason like my, double P's um, <laughs> uh, the sense of aesthetics. It would uh, be it would be nice to have a Dutch word being adopted by the world, seeing as the fact that the Dutch have adopted long COVID. Yeah. I now keep meeting Dutch people who think it's to do with your lungs. Long COVID. Seriously. No. And they're yeah. going, I'm going, no, it's nothing to do with your lungs. It just means you have it for, you know, you have symptoms for a long time. And my husband didn't realise. A friend who came for dinner last night went, what? It's not about your lungs. No, it's, ah, it's lunger COVID, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. So it'd be quite good to do it the other way too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's always uh, yeah. The English people always have a, a little giggle when the Dutch people talk about the the, the jab being a prick as well, like a prick <laughs> and uh, all those kind of hashtags. So I, I think we should adopt uh, oppep prick. It's a nice yeah. word. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, and uh, imagine there's oppep prick ophef. Yes. 
Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's a little bit of a tongue twister, and uh, yeah, I I can see why you like the the aesthetic of the word, but I I I I know how they come up with this. I know there there was some sort of commission uh, at the health ministry, a very large one. They had a lot of meetings. I imagine they they had at least three meetings, uh, all with uh, coffee and those tiny, ridiculously small biscuits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of coffee, um, there <laughs> yeah. was a little uh, disaster, uh, a little uh, catastrophe in Parliament uh, at the Corona debate. Not so much because of what was uh, being said there; uh, that was terrible. But that enough, was also but okay. a catastrophe. But, yeah. uh, indeed, yeah. But there was another uh, disaster going on um, uh, in Parliament. Uh, there are only a couple of people allowed to drink or eat, and those are the ministers and the chair. And um, um, uh, Margaret, usually he drinks um, chocolate milk mm-hmm. for some reason oh, right. but sometimes he also takes i mean the, the debates they 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 take uh they last until yeah. you know very late so yeah uh, f- sometimes he just needs a caffeine or pepper yes um so uh, then he takes a, a cup of coffee and while he was speaking he he uh he picked up his uh his his uh, cup of coffee but accidentally spilled the entire contents of it uh, over his uh, yeah, lectern and over his mm-hmm. papers. And it was an enormous disaster. All, all his papers were drenched in coffee. So, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. had to... Um, yeah, they, they had to pause for about five minutes, yeah, they didn't had to they? Pause well, for a couple he, of he mopped it up himself again, didn't he? He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's getting a bit of a reputation for this. Yeah, yeah. but there was slight opep because when he spilled it, he yeah. said, Godver. Yeah, he he swore um, on mic. He swore on mic in yeah. Parliament, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of people said, uh, "No, he 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 definitely didn't say it." I mean, it was a little bit uh, uh, unclear what he said, but yeah. I I heard Godver clearly, and I uh, looked it up in the handelingen in the in the minutes of the Tweede Kamer, <laughs> and also the uh, uh, stenographers seemed to think he said Godver. Right. So, so, yeah, so the record uh, shows the, the record yeah. shows yeah. he they used swore. a bad word in Parliament. Yeah. Naughty, yeah. naughty yeah. Rutte. Yes. Um, Speaking of bad words, I guess that kind of brings us yeah. around quite nicely to this week's uh, OPEF. Uh, so Definitely. T- take it away, Paul. Yeah, the uh, OPEF of the week comes from Brabant, where a man is being terrorized by the terrible English of his municipality. Uh, a man called Peter lives in the city center of Eindhoven, and because of the you know sort of lockdown we're currently in, he is forced to work from home. And every day he sits at his desk, he opens his laptop for a hard day and productive day of work, but then the horror begins. Because the municipality of Eindhoven installed a number of speakers above the shopping streets and every quarter of an hour an announcement is played to remind people to keep one and a half meter distance. The Dutch version is then followed by another one in yeah, English or rather in Dunglish or as we say um, uh, uh, steenkolen Engels mm. as, as we call it in, uh, in Dutch. It sounds like uh, uh, Mark Rutte's English but then with a very oh, thick it's Brabant uh, and also th- it just sounds like they've run the text through Google Translate as well yeah. all, the, all the slogans like uh, Sam and bringing the corona on the controller so yeah, just yeah. two translators together we will bring some corona under control it just sounds like <laughs> nonsense yeah. and, and yeah. it says under a hull of meters yes. and health well. me- meters or something it, yeah. they say uh, peter showed this to uh, a reporter of omroep brabant and a video of that went absolutely viral on social <laughs> media this week um and yeah uh, because the english is terrible enough but on top of that the announcements are also extremely loud which annoyed peter uh, a lot as well um he has nine speakers hanging around his home uh 
uh, home office. So yeah, mm. poor man. Um, the municipality responded to the offer by apologizing. Uh, they explained the volume levels were accidentally uh, set too loud and they are going to record a new message uh, which will be played less frequently uh, every 20 minutes instead of every 15. Oh, well. And, uh, and also, I was... Um, in the video of with uh, uh, to the reporter of Omroep Brabant, he said uh, they play this uh, throughout the day, and I assumed he meant uh, working hours. But in every article I read, they all it all write they all write that it, the, the announcement was played throughout the day. So do they also play this at night or uh, <laughs> in the evening, or uh, should they just um, you know like the Amsterdam Light Festival uh, shut everything down at 5 p.m.? I think that would be a better better solution. Yeah, th- yeah, they really should. Yeah, well, the better solution would be maybe not to not to play them at all. Rather than <laughs> no. to but I loved about this story that uh, no one actually noticed that the volume was too loud because. Yeah, that, that this goes back to something that somebody said in an interview with uh, uh, Dutch News recently, that Dutch people just talk incredibly loudly the whole time. <laughs> so presumably they had to set the volume that loud to, to, so they could be heard over the top of the people just talking in the street. Exactly. Yeah, but there wasn't anybody in the street. Yeah, if, if there's only one person in the street, you need this level of, uh, of volume, I think, yeah. This week, the booster shot campaign in the Netherlands is finally coming up to steam. Uh, there's news about how the new cabinet will look like. The people in Eimuiden might be able to breathe again in the near future. Max Verstappen is preparing to become the first Dutch winner of the Formula One World Championship in Saudi Arabia. And life might come to a halt in the four big cities. Everyone over the age of 60 will be offered a booster vaccine by the end of the year. That was a pledge by Health Minister Hugo de Jonge this week. And it comes after criticism from, well, absolutely everybody, basically, about the slow start to the booster campaign. At the moment, less than 1% of people in the Netherlands have had a third dose. Uh, MPs said, once again, it was a case of too little, too late. RIVM chief Jaap van Dissel admitted this week that the number of vaccinated people in hospital might have been lower if they'd started giving booster shots earlier. And we're also seeing high numbers of deaths in nursing homes. Again, we have more infections in nursing homes now than ever, even more than at the peak of the first wave. And nearly a quarter of vaccinated residents who caught the disease have died, which is the same as the pre-vaccination rate. Um, and Kees Hartog, the professor of geriatric medicine at the, FU, at the FU University in Amsterdam, said waning vaccine efficiency was likely to be a factor in the fact that so many people are dying in nursing homes. It's Incredible. pretty appalling, really, Awful. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and just the fact they're making the same mistakes again is just staggering. But what about compulsory vaccines? Uh, well, we're not not getting them, if you see what I mean, because um, <laughs> there was a motion in Parliament this week to rule out compulsory vaccination by everyone's favourite VAPI's uh, Forum for Democracy, who then made a big noise about it on Twitter. Um, but the reality is that there really is no appetite for it in the Dutch Parliament, really. Um, the biggest two parties, VVD and D66, they say it's, it's only as a last resort. Uh, the Christian Union SKP did back the motion. Um, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, she's called for the member states to debate whether they should bring in compulsory vaccine. At the moment, uh, the only country that's doing it is Austria. Um, but one third of EU citizens still haven't had the jab. And the new German Chancellor, Olaf Schulz, uh, says he's in favour of it. I'm trying to, trying to think who Olaf Schulz looks like. He looks very, He's got one of those very familiar faces, but I can't picture it. Olaf Schulz. I yeah. think he just lo- looks like a random... 
uh, tall booth. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Exactly. Yeah, the, 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 he just looks like a working guy. I think, right? He doesn't. He, he doesn't yeah, have the. Yeah, or, or like an the, accountant or a bank manager or something. It's like exactly. A, yeah. yeah. If you if you look at Ursula von der Leyen, for example, you look at her and you see and you think, ah, this is a this is a politician or a diplomat, something yeah. like that. Yeah. No, no. Ola Schulz has got that very kind of middle management look about him, hasn't he? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, ultimately, it's up to the member states to decide, and there doesn't seem to be a majority for it in in the Netherlands. So I'm assuming the numbers are looking pretty bad right now. Yeah, they're not looking good at all. We've still got 21,000 positive tests a day. Um, we're, we're not out of the woods by any means, but it is kind of slowing down. I think we're starting maybe to see a path out of the woods. Um, latest weekly figures show the number of infections uh, grew by just 1% last week. Um, and it's, a lot of people are saying maybe that's because we've just maxed out the test capacity, but we're also seeing the positivity rate coming down slowly. So it's sort of 20% now instead of 22%, which is still way, way too high, but it is better. Um, and in the hospitals, situation which everyone's uh, very worried about, obviously, uh, DD.com is saying last week we were on the verge of code black. Well, there's now uh, over 2,800 coronavirus patients and 600 in intensive care, which is almost back at the level in January, although then there were almost 700 intensive care patients, um, and in April it was over 800. Ernst Kauper is the head of the Acute Care Association. He said he expects the hospital numbers to peak in the next two weeks at 3,200. But they have looked like they may have levelled off this week. They sort of, there's quite a big dip on Wednesday, so maybe, maybe it, w- it won't quite get, even get that high. I kind of, you know, the figures, you tend to glaze over in a, in a way, don't you? They're yeah. so sort of, uh, uh, what does it really mean? But, you know, bottom line, story of the week with Corona, what has happened to the runaway Spanish couple? <laughs> yeah, the runaway Iberian couple, I think uh, we, should, we should say to be technically yeah. correct, uh, Spanish-Portuguese. Yeah, this was the big news, and as ever, it broke uh, as soon as we finished um, recording the podcast last week. Um, so yeah. we've now got a whole week of it to catch up on. But uh, it started when the Dutch government uh, last Friday at, uh, at noon announced extra travel restrictions on passengers from southern Africa because of this uh, new Omicron variant. At that point, there were two planes from Johannesburg. Omicron? Omicron? Omicron. 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 Yeah, it's Omicron. It's Omicron, yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah. Omicron. Oh, my God. Right. Let me fact check this very, very <laughs> fast. Pronunciation I have no idea. Check. Omicron. Do you call it Omicron? Omicron. I call it Omicron, but Omicron. I have no clue. I yeah. mean, who knows how to speak ancient Greek? I mean. <laughs> it's <laughs> Omicron. The ancient Greek yeah, it's the, yeah. the emphasis is on the first... Uh, Omicron. Syllable. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, the, the, back to the script. And uh, as, <laughs> as, as the... Uh, uh, at the moment that uh, Hugo de Jong announced uh, these new travel restrictions, there were two planes uh, on their way from Johannesburg and Cape Town to Amsterdam. So when they landed, they decided they should test everybody on board. But, you know, Schiphol's a very small airport and... Uh, <laughs> pandemic's only just started so they weren't really set up for it just 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 for the listeners uh, schiphol is the fourth largest airport in europe <laughs> yes before you, before people write in and, the, yeah. and we are 21 months into the pandemic in fact yeah. as well <laughs> um so the, so the passengers spent three hours on the tarmac without being given any food or water uh, then they had to wait another couple of hours to get their test and in even longer in an unventilated room where no one was wearing a mask uh, because this is the Netherlands, um, for their <laughs> results. And all of this was meticulously documented by the New York Times health correspondent, Stephanie Nolan, because she was on board one of the planes in a PR disaster for the Dutch government. 61 people tested positive out of just over 600. 14 of them had the uh, Om- Omicron variant. 
And they were all instructed to quarantine. And this is where the fun began, because uh, the rules, uh, as you'd expect in the Netherlands, were incredibly complicated and Byzantine. If you had a home to go to and no one else was living there, you could quarantine at home. Otherwise, you were taken to a hotel in Bad Hooverdorp. Uh, but two of the guests decided they didn't want to stay there. And uh, as someone who's had breakfast in Dutch hotels, I have every sympathy. <laughs> so they headed to the airport and tried to board a flight to Madrid, at which point the mayor of Halamamir issued a, an emergency order and they were arrested by the Marechaussee, taken to a TB clinic in Kroninger, uh, told to, uh, they were now under enforced quarantine and threatened with prosecution. Everyone was outraged at this irresponsible couples breaking quarantine and spreading the Omicron variant like nuclear waste. But uh, it turned out that, um, first of all, the quarantine in the hotel wasn't compulsory. You were, you were required to quarantine. You didn't have to be in the hotel, so they were free to just walk out the door if they wanted. Also, the woman, uh, Carolina Pimenta, uh, who's a biochemical researcher, so not someone who's unfamiliar with uh, you know, um, uh, medical hazards, uh, she tested positive when she got off the plane, but she had a negative PCR result before she boarded. And she took another test um, after she got to the hotel. That was negative as well. And she claimed, and her partner, Andres Sanz, he hadn't tested positive at all. He was only quarantining because he was a close contact with her. And she said the police had advised him that, that, that since she tested negative now, they could go. Um, and it was hmm. only when they got to the airport that they got into trouble. Uh, they then took more tests in the clinic in Cronia. They were negative as well, and that meant they really were free to go. And no one's got any idea what the um, uh, prosecution service thought that they could um, uh, pull them up for because they hadn't actually committed any crimes. Um, hmm. you know, breaking quarantine is a civil offence, and you get a €339 Euro fine. Um, so they dropped that idea very quickly. Uh, and their lawyer, Bart Maas, said they could expect to receive quite a lot of compensation for this absolute um, catastrophe that, uh, that they endured. So no doubt the story will run and run. And there was also a problem with that toilet in that uh, hotel in... Uh, or, or was it in the hospital in, in It Korea? was in the hospital. They, they, the, the bathroom attached to their room had this sort of disgusting pool of smelly water in the corner, which they mm. put on a video that came out showing where they were being put and everybody was a bit like oh ha 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 but the hospital actually did say yeah we had a problem with the drains you know mm-hmm. yeah. really nice yeah. the whole thing was completely peculiar and um i think it's done a lot of good for for you know for the reputation of the netherlands really <laughs> yes yes I mean, Definitely, airport yeah. did end up apologizing to all the passengers that uh uh, who were on board the planes. Most of them didn't have the Omicron variant when they got on the plane, but they probably did get it in the airport. So that's, uh, Or somewhere in the Netherlands, yeah, because it turns it. out that the Omicron variant was in the Netherlands before it was detected in uh, South Africa. Yes. So uh, I would propose to call this the Oranje variant. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, we have a nice little, you know, something to be proud of. Uh, I, I get yeah. a Oranje gevoel from all of this. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we should... Uh, uh, finally, we have... I mean, that that would be the crown on Hugo de Jong's work, right? To yeah. have a variant named after... We should call it the Hugo variant. It, That's it. It, it would yeah. be a fitting tribute, I think. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And, 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 and he, should, he should have a shoe designed with, with, <laughs> with the, you know, that, that, that graphic of the Omicron the variant on, on, in, in the pattern. We should definitely do that, <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
The Telegraaf newspaper reports that the full formation parties are planning to install a record number of 20 ministers and 10 junior ministers in the new cabinet. Sources also told the newspaper an agreement is reached on how many ministers each party will deliver. Based on the election results, the cabinet will have relatively more D66 and less CDA ministers compared to uh, the current cabinet, uh, which has 16 ministers. Uh, the VVD, uh, that's the largest party, will get eight cabinet men- members in the new cabinet. D66 gets six, while CDA will have only four. Uh, there will be two Christenuni ministers, as is the case in the current cabinet. Ten junior ministers or staatssecretarissen will be added to the cabinet as well, which means 30 people will post with King Willem-Alexander for photographers on the steps of House Temple's palace once the cabinet will finally be installed. Mm. Um, and does that mean that um, it looks like uh, you're on course to win our bet, Paul? Because uh, we said that uh, the Bordes Sena was going to take place before Christmas and now e- I'm not sure it will. Yeah, well, there will be a cabinet. Uh, there will probably be a, a, an agreement before Christmas, but the cabin, the Bordes Sena, so the, 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 the presentation of the new cabinet, will probably take place uh, next year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that will mean that you will win. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm sending text messages to, to Mark Rutte, <laughs> urging him to uh, speed things up because I definitely do not want to lose uh, this bet. Absolutely not. Um It's not yet known which new ministries will be created, but it is expected that these will emphasize where the new cabinet's priorities are. Uh, You could think of a special housing ministry, for example, or uh, perhaps a ministry that deals with uh, uh, um, uh, the damage of um, uh, the earthquake-induced damage in Groningen. Deze Zestig is very keen on a Europe minister as well. Has there been any word on that? Uh, no, not not not. Uh, there's not any uh, news about that. But yeah. you know, everyone has their wishes and opinions, and it's probably part of the deal which uh, uh, which ministry will be created and which not. Mm. Um, Another reason for a large cabinet is to reduce the workload for ministers. Recently, a growing number of cabinet members, as well as MPs, are suffering from burnouts or uh, are overworked. They had to, uh, you know, uh, 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 take some uh, uh, take some sick leave because of that. Yeah. Um, Prime Minister Mark Rutte told, uh, even though I have to say I I uh, 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 I watched um, the uh, budget debate on the agricultural. Uh, the agricultural ministry budget debate uh, last night and uh, when I uh, switched on the TV I saw an MP talking about uh, the hunting trophies of uh, Theodore Roosevelt so yeah right. uh, sometimes these debates uh, last well into the night but mm. you know sometimes you are just talking about very random stuff they could be shorter was, uh, they could be shorter mm. indeed yeah um, and uh, a lot of talks about teddy bears and stuff like that. I was yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like well, I think MPs like all the rest of us. You know, you, you sit there uh, working on an important project, but then you uh, click on a Wikipedia link, and suddenly <laughs> you're, 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 you, you, you spend half an hour reading about teddy bears, and then yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. work it into their speech. Yeah, yeah. You end up in this uh, Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I lost my script again. Um, Prime, Prime Minister, Minister Mark Rutte yeah. told journalists last weekend the new cabinet will be completely different than the old one. Uh, it's going to have a different look and more elan. Is that an English word as well? Can I use it? You can use it in English. Elan. 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 Yeah, yeah. We, we don't pronounce it right. Yeah. So um, it's uh, that word is uh, being used very uh, mockingly on the internet the past week. Um, <laughs> you know, they uh, every time there is a new delay, they say, ah, they're just working on new elan. They're just like polishing that. their elan. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, with spilt coffee. 
So a Sinterklaas cabinet is no longer in the cards, but, you know, as I said, it's widely expected that a new coalition accord will be reached in the coming weeks, and that's probably going to happen before Christmas. Yeah. And have there been any names floating around for possible new ministers? Uh, there are a couple of names, uh, known and lesser known, uh, floating around. For example, uh, Janine Hennis is, uh, is named. Oh. Uh, I saw in NRC. She, the former uh, defense minister. The former defense minister who resigned um, yeah, just before the election, I think, uh, of, uh, uh, of 2017. Um, she's now in Iraq, so maybe she will be yeah. uh, uh, called back. She'll probably be driven back in uh, the, the Dick Avocat's white van when he's finished <laughs> delivering his, uh, his, his jumbo um, shop furniture. They can't bring back people <laughs> that resigns because they were crap at their job. I mean, come on. That's well, it's not a new plan and a new look, is it? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean they 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 have some uh, PR issues here uh, indeed. Yeah. And um uh but you know, it happens all the time that ministers resign and then uh, come back uh, in new cabinets. So yeah, it's not unprecedented, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it depends on who you ask if this mm. is a good idea or not. Um Naturally, the most senior position of Prime Minister will go to the favorite day, uh, to Prime Minister Mark Rutte. And D66, uh, interestingly, could now claim the second best cabinet position of the finance ministry. NSA writes that there's no chance D66 will allow CDA leader Wopke Hoekstra to stay on as finance minister. Um, and uh, they note that in the previous formation, then CDA leader Sibran Buma insisted his party, as the second largest, would get that post, despite the difference of only 16,000 seats with D66. Vote- 16,000 votes. Uh, 16,000 votes. <laughs> Luckily, no 16,000 seats. Can you imagine a parliament with that many seats? Uh, it would be Italy. <laughs> it is expected that the three MPs who gave up their seats when they became caretaker minister in the past months will stay on in the cabinet. Uh, there's a big question mark hanging over health minister Hugo de Jonge. Mm. His popularity and approval rates uh, has drastically diminished over the past uh, few months, and NRC writes his future has yet to be decided on. It's probably not a coincidence that all sorts of prominent CDA fossils <laughs> are, uh, are now appearing in the media, campaigning on behalf of de Jonge. Uh, the fact we hear news about ministerial posts is a sign that the negotiations are in fact in the final stage, because usually uh, cabinet positions are addressed at the very end of the formation process. Right. And um, what about Mr. Wilders? He's got a few issues in Rotterdam, apparently. Indeed, uh, his party will not take part in the municipality election of Rotterdam. In a press release, the PVV writes that they were not able to find suitable candidates. Uh, this took the current local uh, party leader, Maurice Meerwissen, completely by surprise. He had to read the news in the media. Uh, Wilders' decision not to take part in the Rotterdam election came after Meerwissen started to criticize Wilders on Twitter. He described Wilders' suggestion that only Moroccan youth took part in the riots in Rotterdam a weekend ago as sad and as a false framing. Uh, Mirosa followed with a poll asking if he should start his own party, which to the surprise of no one, he did. Hmm. Uh, Leist Meersen, not a very original name, right? Every hmm. every time someone splits off of a party, they call him themselves Leist name. Or group. Yeah. Or group, yeah. yeah. Um, he will take part in the local elections in Rotterdam and is remarkably less Islam critical than his former party. Um, that's what uh, uh, RTV Rijnmond notes. Yeah. Uh, is he going to go full Arnold van Dorn, though, and actually convert to Islam? As, uh, uh, he hasn't reached that stage yet, <laughs> but, you know, as former as a former PVV uh, uh, politician, that is in the line of expectation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the other one? Joram van Klaveren. OK, but hang on. Didn't the PVV start in Rotterdam, though? 
No. No. No, that was in Rotterdam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah. And Leef by Rotterdam actually started in Hilversum, uh, and they promised to uh, solve the traffic issues there. So uh, yeah. having a bad infrastructure can lead to Pimfortuin, can lead to Geert Wilders, can lead to Cherry Baudet. So uh, yeah, that's, there's a lesson here. Fix your mm-hmm. infrastructure, Fix otherwise uh, yeah. uh, the country will be ruined. The Tata Steelworks in Eimelden will have to meet tougher rules on pollution and face extra checks to make sure it complies under a new government plan to improve the air quality around the plant. The seven-point plan, which came out uh, on Thursday, includes tightening up the current permits, and that means that Tata Steel will have to adapt some of its production processes, and it's also agreed to bring forward some of the targets it had set to tackle the emissions that there are. Of course, these plans won't eradicate all the problems affecting local residents. After all, factories and production processes have to be adapted and improved, and it takes time. However, the government says that the plan does mean an acceleration towards a healthier living environment and sets agreements and rules that Tata Steel will have to be bound by. And Tata Steel's been at the centre of a number of pollution scandals, some of which were actually condoned by the authorities, can you believe? The company's cyanide discharges, for example, exceeded the European norm, but were allowed because the water authorities decided that keeping to the targets wasn't achievable. Inhabitants of Vacancy, which is where Tata Steel basically is, have also complained for years about the so-called graphite rain produced by Harsco Metal, a company which produces slag on the Tata Steel premises. And in September, the Public Health Institute, RIVM, concluded that dust in the Eimauden region contained high levels of metals such as lead and polycrylic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs. The level of pollution was the highest in Vicansay and was particularly undesirable for the health of children, the RIVM said. In fact, a number of locals are now taking legal action against the company for endangering human and animal health. So, yeah, a lot of pollution being produced by Tata Steel, but how important is this steel factory for the economy? Well, it's a big local employer, and it's been, of course, a big local employer for decades. It started out as Hogovens, then became Chorus when Hogovens merged with British Steel, and then in 2010 became Tata after the uh, Indian industrial giant took over Chorus. It has a direct workforce of around 11,000 people, and about 9,000 of them work in Imauden itself, but it also provides knock-on work for thousands more. Despite this, and I mean MPs are aware of its importance, when they were debating the report on pollution that the RIVM came up with, they actually suggested closing some of the more polluting operations and even mooted partially nationalising the plant. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, remnant of, of the old age, right, of the Industrial Revolutions, where you had these enormous factories standing in the middle of, of, of cities and uh, where, where people lived uh, very nearby. And yeah, I think um, Tata Steel is just the only example in the Netherlands of that old times, I think. And yeah, they are, it is a very polluting industry. I think it's responsible for... Uh, 25% of the total CO2 emissions in the Netherlands or, or something like that, an enormous part. And uh, it just seems strange to have this factory where people live. Well, it, it was there first. I mean, why did you build houses there? I mean, well, the houses were built there for the workers who were working there. I mean, it, it's not a planning issue in that sense. It's just always been there. It's like in Amsterdam with the Cargill plant. You know, there's people always saying that should go because it's noisy and polluting but they built the houses afterwards i mean you've got to draw a line haven't you somewhere 
Yeah, it's a throwback, isn't it, to, to those times. So, so what's the company been doing uh, to improve things? Tata said in September that it would speed up its transition from being a traditional coal-fired blast furnace company to using hydrogen power, which sounds very glamorous and modern. Uh, and the director, Hans von der Berg, said at the time the company would undergo a metamorphosis within eight years. It also has dropped a plan to use carbon capture and store carbon dioxide in um, depleted gas fields under the North Sea, which is another thing that's always being mooted. And the clean energy plan, you know, it's been well received by MPs and unions. But, you know, the financial duckblood pointed out at the time, you know, there are many questions about how feasible and affordable a shift to hydrogen power is going to be. The company hasn't put a price tag on it. The FNV Metal trade, the engineering trade union says it expects it'll cost 1.4 billion euros. And the government has earmarked 100 million euros for researching hydrogen power, but nothing yet towards helping Tata Steel. So I think there's a long way to go on this one. And I think it's a space that's going to be, you know, worth watching. But it's very difficult. It's a dilemma, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah it's an intractable problem, isn't it? If you've got a big factory there uh, that's belching out pollution, you can, yes, it's not a problem that's going, you're going to solve overnight. The Vicanse Beach is really nice, has nice beach bars and it's a surfing, it's good for surfers. But you sit there and it's lovely and then there's these sort of clouds in the sky. <laughs> yeah. It always looks kind of gloomy. It's, it's very yeah. odd. Yeah. yeah, you must have been to Grangemouth in Scotland sometimes, which is the huge uh, power plant there. And I went there once on a beautifully clear morning, and literally there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And as the day wore on, you just saw this stuff just emerging, rising up from the cooling towers until the whole, the whole sky was filled. Imagine having <laughs> living with that every single day of your life. Christmas is a season for giving. Big gifts for your close family, small tokens of affection for your friends, bottles of cheap wine and crackers for your colleagues. And if you have a euro or a dollar left over, why not give thanks to your favourite podcast team for following the progress of the pandemic, the cabinet talks and Hugo de Jong's beard so that you don't have to. We'll thank you in return with a shout out on the podcast and the chance to chuck your questions at us like overcooked paper Norton. This week we say thank you and welcome to new patron Laura Welpton. Uh, thank you very much, Laura, for your very generous support. Uh, Laura didn't have a question for us. Uh, we did hear from a long-standing patron, uh, Vega Luckness, who got in touch with us uh, after we talked about the government formation last week and how the Germans have managed to get a cabinet uh, before the Dutch, even though they had their election about four months later. And um, Vega points out that not only did Germany get a government before us, so did Norway. They got a government a month after Norway? their election. Yes. Just a month to, to, to form a new cabinet, less than two weeks after the new parliament actually took their seats. So I think Norwegians are just showing off here. Basically. Yeah. They had the election on September the 13th, and Jonas Gorstöre, and I'm sure I've made a mess of that, uh, was prime minister by the 14th of October. I have to say, every Norwegian prime minister sounds the same to me. I mean, you can <laughs> you can list them, you can list the past ten of them, and I would think they are probably they all have the same name. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's becoming uh, more and more of a national embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, it's a national embarrassment indeed. But uh, yeah, it's, maybe we should also think about uh, leaving the EU, and uh, because it seems like uh, every country <laughs> outside of the EU is uh, doing much better than we do. What like Britain? <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News podcast and spread a little Christmas cheer, go to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dutch News NL. Fewer people were claiming welfare benefits at the end of the third quarter of this year than during the same period in 2020, according to new figures from National Statistics Agency's CBS. 
By the end of September, 419,000 people were claiming welfare or uh, bijstand, as it's called in Dutch, um, and that's down 5,500 on the year earlier period. Uh, it was the second quarterly decline in a row. CBS chief economist Peter Hein van Mulligen suspects the tight labor market had led to more people getting jobs. Around half the people claiming welfare benefits will always do so because they are either ill or just not suitable for work, according to van Mulligen. The rest can leave the benefit system relatively quickly. Almost 70% of the population now has some sort of uh, paid work, and that figure has never been so high. So, uh, yeah, it's one of the paradoxes of this pandemic, right? Yeah, at, sure. at, at the start, we all thought uh, the world economy would collapse. But, uh, yeah, two years uh, in this pandemic and uh, everyone has a job. Everyone has a job. But, they, you know, I mean, they're also complaining a bit because inflation's going up too. I mean, it's you know, there are swings and roundabouts. Yeah, that's right. Uh, because the Dutch rate of inflation has risen again to 5.6%, according to new figures published on Tuesday by the EU statistics agency Eurostat. In October, inflation in the Netherlands reached 3.7% uh, when calculated according to EU methods, but was 3.4% uh, according to domestic statistics agency CBS. Apparently, they use different methods for that. Yeah, they do. The different things are taken in. I think housing has a role in some and doesn't in others. It's all very complicated. I don't know why we just don't use all use the same method because it makes it really difficult to to compare. And it's also really annoying for people because they go, hang on, you just said inflation was 3.4%, but it's 3.9%. What's all that about? You know, it's a... Yeah, I don't speak that many people that are talking about inflation. But yeah, I I understand that uh, uh, it is sometimes confusing. And it's the same with, um, for example, uh, uh, unemployment rates, right? Yeah. Uh, there's also, uh, they all, 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 all use uh, different methods. Yeah, I, I got in touch with the CBS about the unemployment rates because it was really strange because they always say, People in work aged 15 to 75. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but you're including everybody over the age of 66 who's actually officially retired in your yeah. calculations. It's, and you know, 15-year-olds who might get a job in the Albert Hine on a Saturday or deliver newspapers or pizzas. But, you know, it's very peculiar, this sort of wide stretch. But that, they told me, this was to be in line with the way it's done in Europe. So uh, okay. maybe there are people working in parts of Europe up to the age of 75 before they can get their pension. I don't know. Yeah, I think the definition of unemployment is uh, if you do not have a job despite that you want one, right? So yeah. if you are over 67 and you want to work, then you are included in these uh, unemployment numbers. But how they determine how many people over 67 are you know are wanting to have a job that i i don't know i would never understand that but uh, that i think that's um, it, it depends on the on the definition you use yeah no it's it's most peculiar very complicated yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and the rise in uh, consumer prices in october and november has been triggered by soaring oil and gas prices as well as more expensive clothing uh, yeah, if you uh, uh, saw your uh, electricity bill recently, then you know that uh, prices are going up in that uh, department. Uh, the Dutch figure is well above the Eurozone average of 4.9%, but it is below that of neighboring countries Germany with 7.1% and Belgium with 6%. So at least we're winning in this regard from these countries. Or losing, if you like to have high inflation. Or losing, we're doing quite well, really, today, aren't we, then, with, with various things that we're winning and losing at? Yeah, yeah I think uh, the balance here is now that we won with some stuff and we lost with some stuff. So, yeah, we are, we are, we are doing neutral, I think. OK, good to know. Max Verstappen can take a big step towards his first Formula One world title by winning the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix this weekend. 
It's the first time the motorsport circus has stopped off in the Desert Kingdom, and the construction teams have been working round the clock to finish the circuit in time for the race. I mean, they're actually literally building it, weren't they, last weekend? In fact, on Monday or Tuesday, I think. So pictures. I think figures. they're still building right now. Yeah, they probably are, yeah. Uh, they'll probably still be building when the cars are going around the track. It'll be like uh, sort of watching, you know, a live footage from Friesland, seeing forklift trucks <laughs> on, the, on the road, which is appropriate for Sinterklaas weekend, I guess. That's anyway. right. <laughs> Back to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Ripple team boss Christian Horner said the track seems to favour his Mercedes rival, Lewis Hamilton, because it's extremely fast insane was the word order used hmm. uh, the high speeds and high walls um, and very tight uh, you know, absolutely no gap between the, the the track and the walls means we're very likely to see the safety car out at some point during the race Verstappen could wrap up the title if he wins and Hamilton finishes sixth or seventh but it's more likely the championship will be decided in the final race in Abu Dhabi yeah, it's a crazy, uh, crazy track, isn't it? Uh, it has set 27 corners or something, even yeah. though it just looks like it's one complete straight uh, and then they turn around for another straight. But it has these uh, yeah, very small corners and uh, very fast corners as well. And yeah, as you said, uh, the, the complete circuit is lined with uh, with concrete walls. So yeah, it will definitely uh, get a lot of accidents, I think, I'm afraid. Yes, yes. Well, let's uh, hope not too many. And um, it's also getting tense in the Eredivisie as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, we've been talking about Ajax and PSV all season, but uh, Ari Slot's Feyenoord have just been quietly sneaking up on the guardrail, and this week they moved into second place, one point between Ajax and a point ahead of PSV. They had a catch-up game against Heracles on Wednesday, and they won it 2-1, two goals from Luis Sinistera. Ajax have played their weekend game early this week because of their European commitments coming up. Uh, they played Willem Twee uh, on Thursday night and they cruised to a 5-0 win. So they are four points clear again, but uh, PSV can close the gap against Utrecht on Saturday, while Feyenoord are in action on Sunday against out-of-form Fortuna Sittard. And the Dutch coach of England's football team is unhappy with her team's results, isn't she? What's that about? Yeah, uh, Serena Wiechmann. Uh, not worried about her own team uh, because they won 20-0 against Latvia. <laughs> Oh, wow. which was a record <laughs> score for a World Cup qualifier. And the old record was set by Belgium. Uh, they beat Armenia 19-0, and that was last week. And that's a problem, according to Wiechmann. There aren't enough competitive games in the women's game, and hmm. the gap between the top countries with their professional players and the others is getting wider. Her team has scored 53 goals in six qualifying matches, and to put that in context, Ajax has scored 48 in 15 men's Eredivisie games, and they're kind of seen as quite free-scoring. Hmm. It's nice when records are broken, said Wiechmann, but football's only really any good if you don't know the winner in advance. She says FIFA and UEFA need to pay more attention to developing the women's game outside the top nations, especially as the World Cup is due to expand from 24 teams to 32 in two years' time. So women's international football is starting to become like a uh, ball, yeah. where you only have two uh, yeah, competing countries, the Netherlands and Belgium, and uh, they always end up in the finals and then, then the Netherlands wins. That's that's yeah. basically how ball works. I do not even know what ball is in English, actually. It's ball. We don't even oh, have really? a word for it. Yeah. Oh, they it's... used to play at uh, Edinburgh University when we were studying. Cause we was at a, ah. I, was, I, was, yeah, I was a sports editor at the student newspaper and the Korfball Club were about one of the clubs that uh, were very efficient about getting their reports in. So we, we had lots of Korfball coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Poor people on the university. <laughs> they have to read about that. Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague and Utrecht have apparently written to Parliament and the Cabinet calling for a reduction of maximum speeds on most urban roads to 30 kilometres an hour. The move, they say, would lead to a significant reduction in the number of people being killed in traffic accidents. 
Around half the roads in the four cities already have a 30 kilometre per hour speed limit, but officials say more needs to be done. How serious actually is the problem? According to the traffic chiefs in Amsterdam, 80% of accident victims are injured on the roads with a maximum speed limit of 50 kilometres an hour. So cutting to 30 kilometres per hour should make the difference. In 2020, 610 people died in traffic accidents, including 229 cyclists and 41 pedestrians. And the Traffic Safety Research Institute, SWOV, says cutting the speed limit from 50 to 30 would cut this by 20 to 30 percent. So there's a lot Hmm. to be gained. And the cities also say, by the way, that electric scooters, super-fast electric bikes and all those other annoying things that clog up the cycle lanes should also be put on the roads because there's not enough room for cyclists anyway. Um, but can local authorities take these decisions without national government intervention? Is is that possible? Can they just decide it on their yeah, own? Yeah, they can, actually. I mean, they can do it. And it, it seems that government intervention is needed to change the laws so that the lower speed limit can also be imposed on major roads that go in and out of the cities. And at the moment, if you have a 30 kilometre an hour zone or area, you have to put speed bumps and all sorts of traffic calming measures in. And they don't want those because the emergency services have already said, you know, it's going to make it much more difficult for us to go fast. But, you know, the whole point was to make cars go slower. So it's all a bit odd. I mean, I don't know whether it will happen. Um, it won't be until 2023 anyway. We've got local elections coming in, in March. So goodness knows what the cities will be up to by then. Yeah, even though Amsterdam, uh, the Amsterdam voters are notoriously car-hating though. But uh... I know, I know. Tell us about it when you live here. They've got the most expensive parking in, in the whole of the Netherlands as well, apparently. I wouldn't be surprised if it's even the most expensive ones in Europe. Or the world. Or the world, yeah. So um, as a car driver myself, I am uh, very much opposed to this idea, to this proposal. Uh, But if it just keeps in Amsterdam, if they reduce the speed limit just in Amsterdam, that would be fine because I just never go there. But uh, I would prefer Rotterdam to to keep the 50 uh, kilometer speed limits. Well, we shall see. But I mean, it is the most peculiar kind of idea that you've got to get the government to change the rules so you don't have to put speed bumps or as we call them, sleeping policemen, which is just such a nice name. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to uh, Gordon, Derek and Robin Pascoe. We'll be back next week. Thank you.